Hey, this is Kate from Minneapolis. I'm Adam from Montreal. I'm Tucker Campbell from Anchorage, Alaska. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is probably one of the darkest shows on television. It's a show that will casually toss off a reference to crack cocaine or abortions or something else that's generally considered to be pretty awful. It's also one of the funniest shows on television. The distinction, I guess, is that while the main characters, they're a group of young people, plus Danny DeVito, who own a bar in Philadelphia together, do terrible things, those terrible things generally grow out of their very hopeful and positive intentions. My guests on the show are Rob McElhenney and Glenn Howerton. Rob McElhenney created the show so that he and his friends, including Glenn Howerton, could have something to work on. They shot the pilot themselves, and even now, they run the show. Here's a typically dark scene from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The gang, as they're known, are hanging out around the bar on an afternoon without a lot of customers around. And Sweet D, the female lead of the show, reveals some important news. I'm so pumped, dude. I hope I get to see at least one ancient spirit. I think we should get some chalk and some erasers because that dust cloud, you know, really shows the laser beam alarms. Oh, and get a little dust cloud going. We got to spend a lot of time in the Civil War section. No, we're not doing the Civil War section, Frank. We are going to hit up ancient Egypt, though. I'm very excited about that. And we're sticking together. Just so I'm clear, you guys don't actually think that things are going to come alive because you're spending the night in a museum, right? I'm sorry, but we're simply opening ourselves up to the possibility of an amazing adventure this evening. Is there something wrong with that? Now, whether that means uh, Charlie running into his ancient spirits or us having to just, you know, run away from security guards all night, either way, it's going to be a really, really great time. It's certainly going to be a lot better than sticking around the bar all night watching you eat sandwich after sandwich after sandwich. What the hell is the matter with you? Been stuffing your face for days. It's fatness, Frank. Plain and simple. It's a person becoming fat before your eyes. I don't even really know how to make the bird jokes anymore. Like they don't apply. I'm not fat. I'm pregnant. I feel like you say that all the time now. You better do yourself a favor and flush it out. Wait a second. You've definitely said that before. You're right. Yeah, and since we're all saying things that we say all the time, I'll just reiterate, D, we don't care about you or your body or your baby or that baby bird that you're probably carrying inside of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Well, you should give a shit. Because one of you is the father. What? what? What the hell are you talking about? I'm talking about the Halloween party where one of you got me pregnant. But, you know, since you guys don't care about me or my body or my baby or whatever it was that you were saying, we shouldn't talk about it. You guys are on your way to a museum to spend the night. Hey, have a great time, guys. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, we're very happy to be here. So you guys, uh, along with your uh, co-conspirator Charlie Day, created the show without any promise of um, recompense. (laughs) or It it was essentially something that you did in your free time because you were bored. 
Yeah, well, um, Rob was actually always bored. I think he still is, <laughs> even though we work constantly. He still he still feels like he needs to be working harder. Motivated is motivated. The I think is more yeah. less than bored. Yeah, but I think the way you originally described it was the little devils that wake you up in the morning that tell you that you're worthless unless you accomplish something more than you're accomplishing presently. Correct. Yeah. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yes. That was, and it was mostly throughout the night. On the hour, every hour, mm-hmm. and that subsided. Waking up in a in a in a cold or hot sweat, but a sweat nonetheless. Generally a sweat, yeah. And uh, you know the demons were telling him that he needed to to get a new mattress. Right. Um, <laughs> it was so, too wet. Yeah, that was the problem. Soaking through. But luckily, um, you know, he had the work ethic. We had the talent, and uh, <laughs> and I found talented people to match with my work ethic, work ethic and lack of talent because we had no... i hitched my wagon to their stars and vice versa and vice versa right because we had no work ethic whatsoever we just had talent <laughs> raw um, talent just raw talent ready to be molded by someone and so uh, rob came along and uh, decided he was going to mold us into something more than than we were making of ourselves which was very very little at that time um so we basically between jobs between auditions i should say really um, got together and we shot. We started shooting things together, and this was one of the things that we shot was a, a sort of home movie idea that Rob came up with, and um, it became "It's Always Sunny on TV" originally, and then uh, eventually "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." Did you have experience as filmmakers or editors or aspirations to be filmmakers before that? Um, I, I did not. Um, I, I can't. You know, I think Rob did. Uh, I don't think Charlie really knew what he was doing at all, period. Um, I, I only kind of did. Um, but I think Rob definitely had aspirations in that, in that way. I did. I mean, I, I certainly wanted to... Uh, I had aspirations to be anything other than a waiter, which is what I was at the time. And um, filmmaking has always been an, an interest of mine. And I was just trying to figure out uh, an avenue to, uh, to get into the entertainment industry. And, and I, was, I was acting. Uh, and I was, you know, having mild success doing big bit parts here or there, commercials, things like that. But, but really, I, I saw my limitations as an actor and, and thought, well, uh, I, I really just love movies and I love television. I love just that visceral form of entertainment. I would love to be involved in it in some way. And I just started writing. Uh, I was first acting and, and I was reading all these scripts and I thought that they were terrible. And, my, and I, plus, I wasn't getting the jobs anyway. And my manager said, well, if you think you're, you know what you're talking about, why don't you try writing? So that's what I did. You know, none of us really knew, none of us had gone to film school, none of us had um, really even shot anything. I mean, I guess Charlie, Charlie had been shooting stuff in New York with David Hornsby, who plays Rickety Cricket on our show, who's also one of our writers and producers, and with um, Jimmy Simpson, who plays Liam McPoyle, one of the McPoyle brothers on the show, and actually um, Nate Mooney, too, mm-hmm. who plays Ryan McPoyle. They, they had all known each other in New York, and they were shooting things together in New York, and they had shown us a bunch of their um, crazy, insane short films that they had shot, which Rob and I thought were absolutely hysterical. And I think that motivated Rob to take it a step further beyond the writing. Let's actually get together and start shooting stuff. Um, we clearly have the talent and uh, we clearly have the motivation to do it. So, And we have the time, so let's just do it. You shot a, initially a, a short film in then what became sort of like a, a pilot presentation or were those one in the same? Yeah, I mean that was the dawn. I, I had a, a little bit of uh, of experience and success with script writing. I had optioned a, a, a screenplay. It was the first screenplay that I had ever written, and I was lucky enough to option it. But the movie never got made, and it was really frustrating because I was doing rewrite after rewrite after rewrite after rewrite, and then actually never seeing anything um, tangible as a result. 
uh, I was getting paid very little and we weren't producing anything. So my goal was, well, let's write something that we can actually produce. And I don't want to give it to anybody else. I want to direct it. I want to work with my friends. I want my friends to hold the cameras. We do everything and we don't answer to anybody. And I knew that a studio, certainly, or a production company was never going to allow us to do that. So why not just do it in the lowest stakes possible? And having seen a lot of these videos that Charlie and Jimmy and David were making, and they were literally just using... Uh, camcorders, no editing equipment, just editing it in camera, making sure that right. each shot was after the, the last shot. And they were so funny. And I kept looking at all this garbage on television and saying, well, and in the movies and saying, they're spending millions of dollars to do to make garbage. These guys are spending nothing to make what we thought was gold. Yeah. So why not just take that same mentality and apply it to uh, a short a short film. Let's we could make nothing. Probably out of a certain amount of ignorance, we couldn't wrap our heads around why we why anyone needed to spend so much money on any, anything. You know, turn on a light, it, and we, that's literally what we did. I mean, that's why you know. You had sort to cut of, the helicopter scene first. We but. did have to cut the helicopter scene. That's true. But um, the the you know we we our philosophy was let's get cameras, let's open the windows so that the sunlight shines in, let's put a cam I mean a a microphone on top of the camera. And let's just shoot stuff. I mean, it doesn't have to look amazing. The, the only thing that has to be great is the script and the acting. And we had a lot of people telling us, well, you, 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 kind of, you can't do that. What kind of lights did you use? I don't know. A, what, a light bulb light? With a, with a light? Uh, I don't know. With a switch? I don't remember it was like, the wattage. It yeah. was just like a, I don't know. It just was so incredibly uncomplicated. And, and we were like, oh, are, just, are we just being naive? And then we looked at the footage and we were like, this looks great. And it sounds great. It didn't sound as good as like a lot of professional things, but it didn't matter. What was the premise of the pilot that you made? I had this idea that was really dark uh, about a friend going over to another friend's house. And when he gets there, uh, he was going over to, to borrow some sugar for this coffee that he made. And when he gets there, the friend tells him that he has cancer. And I started thinking, wow, that's like a, like a really depressing scene. And how would, I, how would you deal with that in real life? And then I started thinking, well, I, I've seen the dramatic version of that. I've never seen the comedic version of that, which is maybe the guys aren't that good of friends. They're good enough, but he, the one friend doesn't understand why he's laying this on him. Meanwhile, he's got a full day ahead of him, and he just wants to get that sugar and just kind of <laughs> get out. And then the friend tells him, please don't tell anybody else. It's very important to me that we keep this between the two of us, which also confuses this guy because I didn't realize we were that good of friends. But he instantly <laughs> goes home and tells his roommate within, within <laughs> seconds of coming in the door. And then the roommate gets pissed off because he feels like, wait a second, why would he tell you and not me? And then I thought, well, that – I've never seen that on television. I've never seen characters like that. I've never seen uh, – certainly um, – ridiculous and obscene personalities um and we're not and i think that it's very important that we're not saying that these are real human beings um <laughs> well but in a way you know honestly i mean to be fair though I, I, what i found so funny about the idea was the actual reality of it i yes. mean it is a heightened reality yes. for sure i mean there are very few people in this world that would be that callous but what i love about that scenario and i and i think how it sets up our show so perfectly and how it set up our show so perfectly from the beginning was I do think that even if you were the kind of person who would have sympathy on somebody who you went over to their house, you didn't know them that well, you were kind of friends, they told you you had cancer, you might actually stay and listen and, and sympathize and whatever and do whatever you could to make the person feel better. But there's definitely at least a little part of you that's thinking, why do I have to – I have so much stuff I have to do today. Like why, why does this person have to lay this on me? We're not that good of friends. There's All that stuff is running through your head. So 
if you took that mentality, and I think that's why people actually can relate to to our show, even though these people do seem to be such horrible people, I think our characters tend to act on those impulses, those thoughts, as opposed to normal people, which they don't act on it. But they have those thoughts. They have those same feelings. They have those same impulses. They just have the good sense to to not act on them. As opposed to our characters on the show, we actually act on those impulses. We act on those feelings that most people, I think, really have. Which is, uh, I mean, I do think that's a, that that's why the show is relatable, even though it's a very heightened form of reality. Um, well, let's listen to a clip from season one of the show. Uh, it's the gang, the cast of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, debating whether to hold an event for high schoolers at their bar. Um, as you can hear, they convince themselves that serving alcohol to minors might actually be a good deed. And we also have a social responsibility to keep teenagers from drinking. I guess. Well, I don't know about that, though. Oh, Mac. No, wait, hold no. on. Okay, hold on a second. Hear me out, though. Hear me out. It wasn't that long ago that we were in the same position as these youngsters, right? I mean, we get kicked out of some bar, and what do we do, Dan? We would get a bunch of 40s from a homeless guy, and we'd go sit in some park, right? That is true. That, that is, is true. Absolutely and what true. would happen? We would almost get raped and or murdered and or stabbed by the crackheads in Fairmont Park. You want to know what else what would happen? We drove Nikki Potnick's car into a tree on Kelly Drive. With sweet tea in the back seat, puking all over the headrest because some guy talked to her that she liked. Remember that? Every time some guy talks to you that you like, no, you get so nervous. No, you drink yourself into oblivion. Salad. You, you drink you, yourself you, crazy. You abused alcohol, and that's okay. That's okay, but it's very dangerous, right? Right? Okay. Well, maybe we should look at this whole thing from a different angle. Maybe we have a social responsibility to provide a safe haven for these kids to be kids. You know, experiment. No, I don't like where this is heading. We'd have to set up ground rules. Okay. No drinking and driving. No one's going to crash Nikki Potnick's car. Right. You know, everyone has to take a cab. Four drink maximum. Like, that's it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Anyone causing trouble can't come. If you're going to be here, you got to be cool. He's yeah. gone. And, He's and, gone. And. Listen, we water down the drinks. Jack up the oh prices. Oh, Make on. a serious profit off these kids. And they have no idea what the hell's going on. We would actually be doing something good. Great. <laughs> I say we do it. Yeah. That was a clip from the first season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Rob McElhenney, a creator, writer, and actor, and his colleague Glenn Howerton are my guests. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by VG Kids, printers of t-shirts and other merchandise for touring bands, radio stations, websites, festivals, derby girls, record labels, national brands, and all the rabble-rousers, hackers, and entrepreneurs in between. Online at VGKids.com. And Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Do you live in Denver, Colorado, or environs? Well, I've got good news for you. We're having a Max Fun meetup. Teresa and I are going to be in town for the Public Radio Program Directors Conference. And so we're having a meetup on Thursday, September 23rd from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at Sweet Action Ice Cream. You can meet us and meet other Max Funsters from the Denver area. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be a nice time. We'll have some ice cream. From what I understand, these people have uh, Sound of Young America and Jordan Jesse Go bumper stickers on their cash register. So they're true blue fans. Again, if you're in Denver, join us at Sweet Action Ice Cream from 530 to 7 p.m. on Thursday, September 23rd. 
Thursday, September 23rd, 5.30 to 7, for the MaxFun Meetup. Hope I'll see you there. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, you can join me and my friend Merlin Mann for Make Your Thing. Merlin will be introducing my talk, which is about making independent media in the age of the Internet. It includes valuable information like my 12-point system for absolutely 100% guaranteed success. The show is Friday, September 17th at 10 p.m. at the Dark Room Theater on Mission Street. Again, Friday, September 17th at 10 p.m. Tickets are on sale now, and there are very few left. If things sell out, there should be at least a couple of tickets available at the door. You can find more information by going to MaximumFun.org and clicking on Make Your Thing in the right-hand side of the blog under Live Shows. My guests Rob McElhenney and Glenn Howerton are colleagues on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Rob created the show and with the other primary actors on the program, including Glenn, has written and directed and done pretty much everything that you do on a television show. You did a a relatively short first season on FX, and it was a a relatively low-stakes affair. None of you were famous. Um, The promotion was modest. Um, It was a sort of new endeavor for FX. Um, At the end of that first season, when you had had uh, a little bit of success, some critical success, some people said, what is this horrible show about these horrible people? (laughs) Um, But I mean, I I remember watching it and thinking like, this is a good, this is a good show. Like this, this could, this could really grow into something. It's very funny now. Um, where, where were you at with this network and this, uh, again, show about horrible people? I mean, I, I remember converse, us having conversations about how happy and proud we were to have done seven of these. And it's like, there's a very good chance this just isn't coming back and it's just not going to go any further. And I was so, I was sort of coming to terms with that already in my, in my mind, you know, in my heart. But that being said, the FX was in, still incredibly in support of the show. They were very happy with the way sh- the show turned out. And uh, they were doing whatever they could, or at least they were telling us they were, and obviously they were, to get the show picked up for a second season. So we knew that. We just didn't know if it was going to work out. And that's where Danny DeVito came into play. I remember sitting in my apartment one day when Rob actually called me. And uh, do you remember that, Rob? I don't know if you remember this, but you called me and you were like, well... You ready to do another one? (laughs) And I was both like, I remember feeling both absolutely thrilled and absolutely mortified (laughs) that we were going to have to try and come up with more ideas than we had already come up with. I was like, I don't, you had a lot of confidence in yourself as a writer and and, and Charlie and I had never written anything, period. The first thing I ever wrote in my entire life since maybe a high school paper was an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia once we were picked up for, for the first season. I had no idea what I was doing. No idea what's... I mean, I was terrified. Terrified. And we just sort of had to figure it out as we, as we went along. Let's listen to a clip from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. In this scene, the gang comes back from an adventure to find Danny DeVito at the bar, sitting, smoking, and gambling with a group of men who look like they're probably Southeast Asian pirates. I've sold. You me out. Hey. Hey, gang, what's the action? What's going on here? Asians love gambling. 
You know these guys? Yeah, from Nam. You were in Vietnam? Man, hey, don't get excited, Mac, all right? He was in Vietnam 10 years ago on a business trip. Beautiful country. Dad, please get these guys out of here. They're really weird yeah. and scary looking. Hey, I own half this bar, too. Well, you know what? You can't just come in here and start running our lives like this. It's not fair. Want to bet? What? Would you like to bet on it? On what? Whether or not it's fair? Sure. Bet on whatever. All right. Oh, man. You know what? This is exactly why I don't oh want to work God. with him. If you don't go... Me and Mac and Charlie, we're going to sell our portion of the bar. No, no, we're not. no, that's not happening. All right, just back me up on this. No, I can't yeah, even do I that. I can't really back you up on Why can't you just back me up on this? Danny DeVito was added to the show in the second season. And um, I, I remember when I heard that, uh, I remember being surprised. I remember being like, it's, it's unusual in the second season that you go immediately to adding a new major character or, you know, like uh, there's a baby in the family, you know. Stunt that casting is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Just, just say it. Just say it. But <laughs> a, a sad and pathetic and desperate attempt at attention. <laughs> but the, the, thing that, the thing that leavened that feeling was that there's probably no actor who more embodies the idea of a horrible person that you want to love or a rapscallion that you want to do something horrible with uh, than Danny DeVito. Um, you described him coming into the cast as though it was like uh, he just fell out of the sky. Um, but how do you get this guy who's, uh, I mean, number one, he was in an epical sitcom and his wife was in an epical sitcom, so they're sitting pretty. Mm-hmm. And uh, besides that, he's a major movie producer and director, so he doesn't really need to take a job on a low, no. uh, on a low budgeted uh, you know, cable sitcom. Um, how did you get? How did you get this guy involved? Well, it's funny. I, I described it as if he fell out of the sky because, in a lot of ways, he kind of did. I mean, we had already talked about if we were going to do a second season, we wanted to show what the possible parental figures could be. What what would those people be like? Where did these people come from? So we had already talked about you know essentially introducing possibly some recurring characters of uh, some parental figures, and. Um, that's when the network said, you know, essentially we've got to do something to – I've got to do something. John Landgraf, the president of FX, came to us and said, I've got to do something to sell to my bosses why I should pick this show up for a second season. One of the first ideas that was bandied about was adding another cast member who would be a name. And I believe it was John who first brought up the idea of, of Danny because they were friends. They started Jersey Television together, and um, which is where Reno 911 came from and uh, – and he said, what about Danny DeVito? And we immediately were like, yeah. I mean, that's – because of all the reasons that you just gave, I mean, he, he has the perfect – he had the perfect sense of humor and sensibility for our show. And no matter how reprehensible a character he plays, because he's so lovable in real life, that comes through and people just love him. Um, and we were big fans of his. And um, essentially, Rob went over to his house. We, we came up with a character for him. Rob went over to his house. And uh, sold him on it very quickly because Rob's just one of those kind of people that could sell you your own shirt back to you, <laughs> um, which is always, which is always uh, come in handy for us. Uh, you know, so far, I mean, he just has that has that talent. Uh, but that's also because he's able to back up what what he says he's going to do. But um, and I well, think it's easy when you have. I mean, certainly, that was an easy conversation when he had already seen the show and yes. loved the show. Um, and so it was, it was, it didn't take a lot of convincing essentially, which was he really just good. handed you a glass of his signature limoncello. Well, that came afterwards. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was also, as he, as he describes it at that time in his life, looking for something different. Um, I think he felt like he was in a little bit of a rut creatively and his kids really loved our show and he'd seen the show because he was friends with John. 
And he really responded to the show. And the timing, the alignment, if you will, uh, was perfect. And he said, I want to do this. He saw this as an opportunity to break out of a certain creative rut that I think he felt like he was in at that time. He's a guy who, when he's on screen, any anytime he's sort of rubbing his hands together, scheming, which is a scheming is probably the central pillar of uh, any given episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You're excited to go on this scheme with him. Um, what do you see as the like positive enjoyable, fun qualities about these characters that are always doing horrible things. Well, I, I have my own personal feelings and philosophy about that. I, I think there's a certain... And we should say your, your character is um, sort of absurdly, nightmarishly vain <laughs> and slightly vacant. That is, uh, that is true in, in, in many ways. It's, it's, it's all, I mean, <laughs> it's all a big, uh, big cover-up for certain insecurities and certain things about himself that he's just completely unwilling or unable to face. <laughs> um, and, uh, and there's something very funny about that to me. But no, I think, I think there's a certain positivity and, um, and a lot they're of very times, hopeful. There's a lot of hope for their future. They, at the beginning of every episode, they feel as though they have something wonderful. They have a wonderful idea. <laughs> this is, this is going to make their lives better. It's not about, it's never about screwing someone over or hurting someone or, it, it never starts out that way. It always starts out as like, hey, I had an idea or I read this in the newspaper or guys, check this out. I found a whatever. And let's let's go out and essentially improve our lives. Let's make our lives better. And then, you know, with, they set about doing that. And then, you know, if they had to step on somebody's head along the way, somebody's head gets set on, you know, and you justify it along the way. But it's never it's never they never start out with bad intentions um, for the most part. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I think that that is what's relatable about, about it. It's why they're not complete and total villains. No one is no one is setting about to just straight up hurt someone. It's just a sort of a result. <laughs> Here's a clip from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." Uh, Sweet D, played by Caitlin Olson, is asked by the rest of the gang to justify why they shouldn't fire her. D, we don't know what it is that you do you around don't here. Don't really seem to do anything. Me? Come on, I do a shitload. Why don't you make us a drink? Fine. Crack you open a beer. No, 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 not a beer. Something you have to mix. But this bottle is cold activated. I mean, look at it. Doesn't that look delicious? It does look delicious, but mix me a drink. But the mountains, they've turned blue. Don't mojito you to... me, please. A refreshing mojito would do. Nobody orders a mojito in this bar. So you can't make a mojito. Of course I can make a mojito. Then make one. Fine. One mojito coming up, gentlemen. I quit. God damn it! Shit! I'm really looking forward to firing her. Me too. That was a clip from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with Caitlin Olson, Rob McElhenney, and Glenn Howerton. Rob and Glenn are my guests on The Sound of Young America. Um, she, I think she, her, her character, uh, Sweet D, is uh, one of the funniest characters on television, and especially one of the funniest uh, female characters on television. I think often in a sitcom, especially one with a largely male cast, the woman is just sort of left to be the straight person to everyone else, or possibly the dumb one. Um, and, and she isn't. Did you, did, you, uh, did you guys know her before you started the show? No, we didn't. I, I have to give Rob a lot of credit for this. But we, when we first started out, she was, she did actually start off a little bit as the voice of reason. And I think we were, I know, I know I was a little bit afraid of, ha 
we all had so much fun sort of playing these horrible characters. Nobody wanted to be the voice of reason. And we didn't know Caitlin <laughs> when we started the show. So I know for me, I was like, well, I don't want to be the voice of reason. I know none of us do. So let's, let's make it be her. You know, um, it's our show after all. We should be the funny ones. Uh, you know, and then as we, and so in a lot of ways in the first season, um, as we were developing her character and trying to figure out what is funny about this character, if she is going to be the voice of reason, um, a lot of it came from, first of all, Caitlin actually can be the voice of reason and be very, very funny. She can read the phone book and be very, very funny. And that's what's so great about her. But, uh, to give Rob a little bit of credit, um, he really advocated very strongly pretty early on to not have her be the voice of reason and for there to be almost no voice of reason. And what ended up happening out of that was that I think we found something that's far more interesting. And that's that at any given point in an episode, depending on the situation, any one of these characters could be the voice of reason. I think that's actually more real, more truthful in a lot of ways, because I think depending on certain circumstances, I can, I personally can be completely carefree and insane and make insane choices and then in a different situation, I could be the one that's going, okay, everybody, we got to think about this. Let's, let's be smart here. Um, in a way, the sort of the reality, the context in which these characters live is the voice of reason as they sort of strive ever forward and skyward with these horrible, horrible schemes. They're constantly being smacked back down at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. They're constantly being sort of taught a lesson that they, that they can't retain. It's always very obvious uh in in a lot of sitcoms who's supposed to be the ballast who's supposed to be the voice of reason and 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 also oftentimes you're watching things and it's it's very clear that this is what this character thinks and it's not just with the voice of reason it even could be the wacky character as well it's this is how this this person feels this is how he or she is always going to feel and that will never waver or change and i just thought that that was ridiculous that's just not how people are I thought it was more true to life to have somebody uh, be pro-life until they actually found themselves in a situation where they have uh, gotten someone pregnant, and then they instantly become <laughs> pro-choice. And I thought there was a, there's a lot of reality to that hypocrisy, and, and there's a lot of people who pr- do not practice what they preach. And I felt like mm-hmm. it would be really interesting to watch the ballast change as the character's situations change. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America. Thank you. Thank you. The sixth season of The Very Funny It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia premieres September 16th on FX. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our associate producer is Julia Smith, and our editor is Nick White. Our intern is... Christian Natividad. He just happened to be sitting there. Um, Our development director, Teresa Thorne. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org. Email us, uh, email me, actually, at jesse at MaximumFun.org. It's my actual email address. I actually read it. Don't be mean. Don't correct my grammar. That's lame. Um, Yeah, we'll see you online and next week right here on The Sound of Young America. The Sound of Young America is looking for a fall intern. We're sorry to say that our summer intern, Christian Natividad, has to go back to graduate school at USC. Our congratulations to him and an invitation to you to apply for an internship. You have to be in the Los Angeles area and be willing to commit to 
15 to 20 hours a week here at the Max Fun office. You'll learn all kinds of cool stuff. You can find more information, including information about how to apply, at MaximumFun.org slash internships. MaximumFun.org slash internships. Apply as soon as possible.